Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome, everybody, to the Untold Story podcast. I'm Martha McCallum, and it's great to have you with us today listening. And I'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation because I, I read an article recently about this New York Times best-selling book. At the time, it had been on the list for 13 weeks. I think it's longer than that now. So that, that's a huge achievement for a first-time author. And it, it's sort of an unlikely bestseller in a lot of ways because it's about something that people really don't like to talk about or think about. So, so that makes it fascinating as well. So with uh, no further ado, the author of the book is Hadley Vlahos. Hadley is a hospice nurse, and she's the author of the New York Times bestseller that is called The In-Between, Unforgettable Encounters During Life's Final Moments. And she joins me today to talk about embracing the grace of dying and what she has learned in her work as a hospice nurse about life, about afterlife and the moments that she calls the in-between. Hadley, welcome and congratulations on your, on your book. It's great to have you with us. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. So Hadley, you, you never imagined that you would be a best-selling New York Times author or that life would take you on the path that has taken you on. G give everybody, you know, this is called the untold story, and I think there's probably no better topic to talk about on this podcast than what comes after we die, but your own untold story. Um, tell me, how'd you get here? Yeah, absolutely. So I went off to college just like everyone else. I went to Florida State University with plans to be an author, and my story had some plans that were not planned. I um, got pregnant at 19 and had my son and was a single mom. So I went to nursing school so that I could provide for him. And I found myself working in hospice, very drawn to working with the elderly. And I started sharing my stories on social media and writing them into a book a few years ago. And now I'm getting to live that dream of being an author again. It's fascinating. You know, I, I, and so life finds its way around, right? You, you wanted to write, and then you were sort of put in this position that gave you material that you never imagined that you would have. What do, why were you drawn? This is probably the last place that most nurses want to be put. Why were you drawn to working with people who are on the verge of, of passing on? Yeah, it's definitely not what most nurses do, but I do love it. I actually wanted to be a labor and delivery nurse at the other end of life. <laughs> uh, but I found myself working in a nursing home, and that's where I saw hospice. And I love the setup of it. I love how you get to be one-on-one -on -one with the patient. I know so many nurses feel like we are just going from task to task and just mm. cannot even keep our heads on straight. But the setup of hospice means that you are completely one-on-one -on -one with your patients. And I was so drawn to that. And I still love that. So tell us what you have learned 
about, about death? I have learned a lot. I think one of the biggest things that I've learned is that there are worse things than death. And there can be situations where sometimes death is better than what people are living with. Explain. So as nurses, I, we all see just people who are still here even whenever their bodies don't really want to be anymore. And as family members, a lot of times I'll see people just holding on to people um, that, that need to pass on. Mm -hmm. And I have learned that through seeing some truly beautiful deaths in hospice that sometimes it's not as sad as people think. I, there can be a lot of beauty in it. So one of the things that you say is that families need to accept where the patient is and, and they need to find ways to talk about it and to help their loved one kind of plan their death and the way they want to go and how they want things to go after. And, you know, having been through this with my, with my own mom, I know as so many people do how hard it is because you don't want to talk about death. You want to talk about hope. It's super, super difficult. And I think that from what I've seen from working with so many families is a lot of people know, like in the back of their mind, I need to have these conversations, but it's never a good time to do it. And I always suggest that if you're in a situation where you know that your parents getting older or you, you yourself are getting older, that you pick maybe like when you're doing your taxes, that that is the time that you get with your family and say, just so you know, this is what I want at the end of my life. So not wait until you're, you know, so close to the end or until you're in the middle of an illness that is very challenging for the whole family emotionally to try to, to talk about it ahead of time. But what about if you don't do that? How, how Do you have suggestions for how family members can say to their loved one who might be in hospice or even before that, you know, let's talk about it? Unfortunately, you just kind of have to have the conversation. And my suggestion would be to say, I don't want to lose you. Please don't interpret this as me wanting to lose you. I want you to keep hope. I want you to feel however you want to feel. But I also want to make sure that your wishes are honored. Mm -hmm. And so could you please tell me what you want at the end of life? So it's interesting. When, when you talk to people who are in this situation, you're sort of a third party. So what would be the most, what, what's a common thread if there is one, of things that you wish their families knew? I think something I've seen a lot of times, I'm not asked that question much, but what I see a lot of times is that patients feel like uh, they can't that the family thinks that they can't sense tension whenever there is. Mm. And it is super, super common, even though most people don't talk about it, for there to be tension between family members at the end of life, um, especially between kids. And the they will have conversations outside of the doors, and mm. usually I'll be in there with the patient, and the patient will be like, I wish they knew that I could, I can hear them. I know that they're arguing, and I wish they would mm. all just get along. That's all I really want. Wow. So let's talk about what you have witnessed as people, as people die. You say that you have seen and heard your patients in the in-between speaking to or being greeted by their loved ones who have gone before them. 
Yeah, it happens enough times that it definitely surprised me. Nursing school did not prepare me for that at all. And tell me, take, take me through what that all looks and sounds like. Yeah, at first I thought it was a hallucination because obviously we give very heavy medications at the end of life. So I thought this was just a side effect and a hallucination. Um, but then it started happening with people when they were not taking any medications. And what happens is you'll walk in and the patient will be talking to someone that you can't see. And so I can ask them and say, who are you talking to? And they can say, oh, my deceased mom, my deceased spouse, they're right there. And they will talk to them just like you and I are talking, almost like I'm the one not in the know, like I'm the one who can't see them. And I really started to recognize that they were able to hold very coherent conversations, not only with this person who's passed on, but myself as well. They'll talk about going on a trip with their deceased mom the next day and then turn to me and say, is your kid still sick? Yeah. So that's what gave you this feeling of, of something that exists between this life and the next life. Tell me about that. What does it look like? Yeah. That is what I call the in-between, and it's quite beautiful to be able to be there with people. There's definitely this certain energy that we all can feel or sense whenever the people are in that, what I call one foot in the next world, one foot in our world. Mm. And it is incredible to see them converse with these people. Occasionally, they can even tell us when they're going to die, and I've never had a patient predict incorrectly. Really? Tell me about that. Yeah. I actually have uh, one person in my book who I named Sue who said that she was going with her husband that night, and I was extremely close to her. And I told the family, okay, call me tonight when it happens. I'm not on call, but I will be there for her. Mm -hmm. And I was shocked whenever I woke up in the morning with no missed calls. And so I called her son right at 8 a.m., and he said, happily, um, she did die last night your coworker came and I did not call you because dad, her deceased husband that she was speaking to said that you could not handle it, mm. which was just blew my mind. Mm. So do you believe in heaven? Do you think that these, these people are going to heaven? So I call myself spiritual. So basically I say that I don't really know. I do have patients who see things regardless of what religion they are. I don't notice a big difference in what their experiences are. What I notice a big difference is, is how people seem to be as people, like how nice they are, how kind they are, how loving they are regardless of religion. But I don't have any issues with religion. I always just say that I think of spirituality like kicking around a ball and religion like playing soccer with referees, like we're playing the same game, just with different rules. The Untold Story continues right after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. So you say that they all appear to have an overwhelming sense of peace. Yes. So... 
does it come across them and is it uncharacteristic of their their demeanor prior to this happening? Yes, I will have patients that have pretty severe death anxiety mm. and I try to give medications, try to talk them through it. And then whenever their deceased loved ones come, they are calm mm. and at peace. It's beautiful to witness. That's amazing. So, you know, you also talk about so there's different kinds of death, obviously. You're dealing with people who are ill and in many cases old, but maybe just terminally ill. Um, and you talk about how you, you, you call yourself spiritual, but you say that emergency room nurses who often deal with people who might die on the table from a gunshot wound or an injury do not see the same sort of thing. So how do you explain that? My personal feeling is that whenever you're dying a slower death, like from a terminal illness, we get to see more of that in-between phase, which is what I get to experience. Uh, whenever it's sudden, quick, traumatic, you, in my opinion, wouldn't have the experience to be able to see that because it would happen in seconds rather than days. Mm. Because ICU nurses, even though if they're trauma, but they are stable enough to go you know, upstairs for a few days, they do report the same things that I do. Interesting. So you also say that you often sit with families as death is coming and that everyone in the room, regardless of how imperceptible breath might be at that point, knows when it happens. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, that's something I started noticing after being there with enough patients that had died that I finally put two and two together. But essentially, medically, we can have up to a minute between breaths at the end of life. So big gas, one minute of nothing, another big gasp, and that can go on for hours, which is not, not fun to witness. Mm. But something I have noticed is that there is a certain energy shift because whenever someone takes their last breath, family members can always say to me, oh, they're gone or they'll start crying. They know when, if we're looking at it from a strictly scientific medical standpoint, no one would actually know until that next breath never comes. So a minute after they die, but people always know, I know, they know, everyone just seems to know whenever it's that last breath. And why do you think breath. that is? I think that it's energy shifting. That That's just kind of how I feel. Uh, the best way I can describe it is almost like that elephant in the room feeling where people can feel like just tension and then release, um, but no one could really put their finger on what it is. Have you ever been with a patient who went into the in-between and beyond and then came back? I have never had anyone come back. What do you think about those stories? When you hear them, do you hear parallels in what you see in the in-between? Yeah, definitely. I, I love reading about near-death experiences. I think it's super interesting. Um, I'd say the biggest difference is that they are seeing what I feel like I drop them off at the door and they get to go on the rest of their journey. Mm. And with near-death experiences, I think they kind of get to share what's beyond that door. And I love listening to them. I, I definitely believe in them. So interesting. So 
you say that you know people should really make decisions about how they want the end of their life to be. What what do you having been through it with so many people? What have you learned about what you would want? Oh, I'm so picky. Even though I'm 31, <laughs> everyone knows my wishes. <laughs> I'm very serious about it. So, uh, if possible, I definitely want to be an organ donor. I do not want to live if there's any chance of me not having a full life. Um, I would like to be at home on hospice if possible. I want to be buried and I want a living funeral if possible where everyone comes and we do reminiscing on good times and having some champagne toasts and just enjoying life while I'm still here. That sounds pretty good. That sounds like what we, we call, you know, a peaceful death, the good death, right? Which yeah. I, when I was younger, I couldn't understand that concept. I was like, what could possibly be good about death? Um, but as I get older, I, I understand it a little bit more. And as I watch people go before me, um, you know, you describe this as like your earth room where you kind of accumulate your earth life. And then you talk about the transition that people make as they get older. Explain, explain that for us. Yeah, that analogy was based on a conversation with a patient who was close to 100, and she told me that she was ready to die. So as a nurse, my first thought is, oh, she's going to harm herself. I need to assess this. And really what I learned from sitting there and talking to her is that it is not that she didn't love everyone here. It's just that the life that I was seeing was not her entire life. So she explained to me that when she started her earth room had her siblings and her parents and her grandparents and her dog. And then she starts growing up and you just keep adding more people. You have college roommates and boyfriends and friends. And um, she said, as you get older, you start realizing that people are exiting the earth room and going to the afterlife room. She called heaven. Mm -hmm. And you start looking at that afterlife room whenever you're her age and being like, that's the party that, that is, that's <laughs> my life. Those are my people. And I don't not love my grandkids and my kids that are still here, but everyone that I grew up with, they're all mm. in that room. And I'm, I'm ready to go to that room is what mm -hmm. she'd tell me. That's so it, it's inspiring actually. Um, and it, it, you know, what, what would you say was the most moving relationship that you've had with one of your patients before I let you go? Absolutely. My most moving one, hands down, I call him Carl, uh, him and his wife, we were extremely close, but he did not want hospice there at first. He was bed bound, wanted to watch his sports, be left alone. Um, I'll say roll tide for him because I know his wife might be watching this, mm. but, um, he did not want us there, and I had him open up to me by telling me about sports and teaching me about sports, and he learned that I was a single mom, and he started watching. He would watch Fox News and write down all of the news for me in these little note cards so that I could stay up to date, and um, when he died, right before he died, he saw his deceased daughter who had drowned when she was two. Mm and he was playing hide-and-go-seek with her. And he said that he was going to be able to see her again soon. And right before he closed his eyes, the last time I saw him, he said, 
thank you for giving me something to look forward to instead of death and how much he really enjoyed having a little purpose. And I will never, ever, ever forget them. I still talk to his wife and they were incredible. Beautiful story. Yeah, it's it's very interesting, you know, your experiences with all of these individuals. And you say that almost everyone that you have helped across has spoken or expressed seeing their loved ones. So I'd say some people, I a lot of people go into a coma before they die. Mm-hmm. So, or they'll have like dementia, so they can't tell us, but we will still see people reaching mm. or touching or almost like someone's invisible. To me, I think that's what's going on and they just aren't able to communicate it to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but some people are in a little bit of a different mental state, but we still see small actions that to me indicate that might be happening. Well, thank you so much for joining the Untold Story today. Hadley Vlahos uh, is a hospice nurse, and she's written a book about her experiences on embracing the grace of dying. And the book is called The In-Between, Unforgettable Encounters During Life's Final Moments. So, Hadley, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your experiences with us. I think it's, a, it's really a good conversation to have, and hopefully our conversation will spur people to to talk to their own family members or their children or their parents a little bit more about uh, your experiences. So, so thank you and congratulations. I hope you keep writing. We want to hear more. Thank you so much. You've been listening to The Untold Story. I'm Martha McCallum. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Make sure to rate and review. For more podcasts, go to foxnewspodcasts.com. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.